Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. Now, scientists may finally be figuring out how a machine could read your mind. And for the very first time, mind-reading headsets are becoming real. You really want to just slowly imagine the cube fading out into that black. Look what I can do to the orange cube without touching any dials or keyboards. But just thinking, disappear. My God! <laughs> I can control this thing with my mind! Tan Lee is an entrepreneur with a headset that must be reading my mind. We have to actually train the system. Because she's turned it into the ultimate remote control. Just by thinking commands, I can make the orange cube on a computer lift, I can start this car, and launch this helicopter. The future is going to be awesome. I am a superpower! <laughs> the signal is good enough for the computer to recognize a simple brain pattern once it learns it, like lift. And voila, it's reading my mind. Can you imagine? I mean, in some future world where everything is hooked up to this, I could just make anything happen just by wishing it. But what if we could tap directly into the brain? That's what they're attempting here at Brown University. Kathy Hutchinson is paralyzed from a stroke, but she's controlling a robotic arm with much more precision than any headset would allow, thanks to sensors that have been implanted directly onto the surface of her brain. Kathy made headlines when she played a crucial role in a groundbreaking mind-reading experiment. She simply thought about reaching out to pick up a cup of coffee. The sensors in her brain picked up electrical impulses and a computer turned them into commands, controlling the robotic arm. It's an astonishing breakthrough for brain science that offers hope for the paralyzed. It's amazing what you can do if you put your mind to it, like fly a drone, for example. I've come to an airstrip on the outskirts of Lisbon, Portugal, to see some groundbreaking technology in action. This is Nuno, he's controlling the drone that's whirring away above our heads using just his brainwaves, all thanks to the skull cap that is constantly monitoring his brain for activity. It's a slightly unsettling demo as the drone buzzes up in the sky, struggling valiantly against the wind. It's the first time this has been shown off in public, but if the researchers here get their way, it's the starting point to something much, much bigger. So this is quite literally some blue sky thinking. The researchers here say that this technology could eventually be used to power even commercial flights around the world, removing the need to even have a pilot. Now that may seem a little far-fetched, but didn't we want to say that about driverless cars? It's where it's going, right? Uh, so uh, technology is evolving, the regulations are evolving, um, and so it's it's both things are going at the same time and we're learning with the technology and the technology is learning from the possibilities so it's obvious that it's going to happen the question is not if it's when this remote controlled robot with a nose mounted camera turns right and left moves up and down and even flies through a ring all on commands from a controller who uses a special instrument and what is this instrument? The controller's mind. Here at the University of Minnesota, Professor Bin He and his team have engineered a non-invasive system called a brain-computer interface that allows a person to control a robot using only their thoughts. 
Researchers in the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department at the University of Texas at San Antonio are working to develop a process that can control the movements of drones with thoughts. Daniel Pack, chairman of the department, said his research might help the Army lighten an already heavy load for soldiers in the field. Pack envisions drone operators wearing sensors in their helmets and giving somewhat complicated commands. Like, attack, dive, shoot them down, go get them. Let's, let me put all this together. So, so now we have the technology to control drones and planes and artificial limbs and appliances and even robots with our brain and the military is interested in it. But, but somehow we think it's all going to be okay. It'll never be used for nefarious purposes. Remember the rule I've already stated several times. If they're already allowing us to see this technology in public, what do you really have? And how far has it progressed behind the scenes that we don't even know about? I guarantee you folks, it's much further along than what you just saw as this next interview reveals. Let's take a look at that. Well, Randy, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to uh, share with our viewers a little bit of your uh, inside information. Uh, if you don't mind, if you could start with maybe sharing a little bit of uh, your uh, military background and what branch of service and uh, kind of what you're up to today. In the uh, mid-70s, I was in the Marine Corps, and that's where I learned my uh, electronics. Okay. I had never envisioned myself working with electricity and stuff, but yeah. they taught me how to do it and I've done it ever since. Yeah. Uh, I came to Las Vegas and now since 1985 I've been working with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department okay. in the communications section. So, okay. um, I did a short stint with our special operations people. Okay. Uh, we uh, placed cameras and listening devices and such, did surveillances yeah. on uh, uh, a number of people. I was in that business during 9-11. Okay. and um, stayed with it for a few years and then the department asked me to come back and uh, put in a new communication system yeah which we did and day-to-day uh, -to -day, we uh, just keep all the communications working and work with the special teams when they need some extra help yeah and uh, so I'm in the communications all the time okay okay yeah, you mentioned uh, uh, being educated with uh, electronics and being fascinated with that. That's actually what drew me eventually to uh, California. I uh, grew up in Kansas and went out there with my brother. We both went to tech school. And boy, did we have some uh, interesting uh, conversations with our teachers and professors. Uh, some of them were uh, World War II veterans. And so every once in a while, you know, we'd pick their brains and they'd talk about some technology. And, and uh, uh, that was much further along than most of the public realizes. And, I remember one story uh, when the professor was talking about the, the radar and uh, just some of the deeper things that they were doing with radar and some of the early experiments that it was so powerful uh, with radar that if you got in front of it, it would basically, you're, you're done, you're, you know. And uh, it's a lot of high powered stuff, but uh, um, you know, I, I realized that uh, with your knowledge base, there's certain classified information that you can't share, uh, but maybe if there's a couple things that uh, if you wanted to share that maybe just, just examples of maybe of what's been out there for a while that most people maybe probably don't really realize. Uh, is there anything you could, would be safe to share? Oh, the big thing is miniaturization. Yeah. Everything is getting smaller. It's uh, getting lighter. They can 
place it in objects they've never been able to do before. The, the uh, technology of batteries has improved dramatically yeah. in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. We have power sources now that we didn't have. Yeah. And then you add into that solar power and all these other things that are commonplace. The uh, ability to put listening devices or to put uh, cameras on uh, drones or, or whatever, even street lights and anything yeah. else, all that is there because we connect them all wirelessly. Right. And the, uh, the only drawback on the wireless system is your infrastructure. Right, and when the with the military when they fly their drones, they use the satellites. Right, pretty straight, you know, line of sight kind yeah. of thing, and they can go anywhere in the world with that. Right, because they can always talk to the satellite. Right, right. So, well, and that's always the danger with something going wireless. It's very convenient, uh, and it gets rid of your cords. Uh, but the wireless can be hacked. It can be uh, tapped into, uh, not just by the user, but uh, whoever knows how to hack into it. Mm -hmm. There are um, redundant systems in many of the devices, not the cheaper drones like you or I would buy, yeah. but in the, the more advanced um, mission critical type of devices, yeah. where if you try to uh, take away the main source, there's always a backup that they right. can switch to yeah. and still get their at least critical commands. One of the things that a lot of the drones have is that if they do lose contact, they are not getting the, the right information. They will land themselves. Right. And uh, that's because of the limitations of right. the RF. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, it gives them the ability. You mentioned about uh, the battery technology, and certainly with the microchip technology and everything you mentioned with the miniaturization. And that's one of the things that we deal with pretty heavily on this documentary is uh, it's not just drones coming everywhere, be it in the sky, be it on the ground, be it flying, be it crawling be it walking, so to speak, uh, uh, on the water, under the water, but they're getting very, very tiny. And a lot of it is they're mimicking things that people wouldn't have uh, realized that, oh, you think that's a bird. I, I don't know if it's coming on the audio, but you can hear a bird chirping. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I hope it's a real bird. <laughs> and I hope that's a real fly over there, you know, but that's actual technology because, like you said, the battery supply sources, as well as the microchip, we're able to do these things on a miniature scale and you mentioned about, and a lot of it is for surveillance purposes. You know? Now there's a good side to the drone too. It's not yeah. just all bad. Yeah. There are good sides. Um, drones have been used to uh, go, and like in hostage situations, yeah. to be able to um, get an eye on a target without having anybody exposed, to be able to listen to what the conversation is. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes you can tell when someone's going to do something stupid by what they say. Yeah. Um, but the biggest part, the biggest advantage of drones is also cost. Yeah. It is incredibly expensive to fly a helicopter and keep an eye on the situation. Yeah. That's very expensive. Put up a drone in that same space that's not going to go very far, just keep circling an area. Mm -hmm much more cost effective oh, yeah. and you can do whatever you want to with it using yeah. your own controls you don't have to relay to the pilot right right so there is an upside to that. yeah well i think one thing uh, with that upside mentality if you will i think a lot of people when they think still think of drones they automatically just are kind of limiting their 
their scope of uh, awareness to just just the military. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not only coming to the private sector, but another wave, and we talk about this on the documentary, another wave, of course, is with the, uh, the police forces. And not just in the U.S., but around the world, and they're jumping on the bandwagon. Like you said, hey, it's a lot cheaper to get a drone to do your surveillance needs than it is to buy or rent or uh, get a helicopter, then you got to pay for the pilot, and you just got a drone that could do the exact same thing. Well, I don't know if exact is the right word, but uh, <laughs> it, they, uh, I think they'll have helicopters for quite a while. Yeah. But uh, you're right, they uh, use it for many things. Um, yeah. Search and rescue yeah. is a good example. You can take a, a drone with a uh, infrared, fly it out over a large area, and see if you get any heat signatures. Yeah. Uh, that will send the, the rescuers in the right direction. Right. And uh, you, with drones being so inexpensive, you can actually put up multiples yeah. and cover much larger areas. Yeah. But that's small stuff. That's, that's only short periods of time. Yeah. And it's also very limited in uh, the areas they can go. They still have to be able to get the signal to the drone and back. Right. The uh, thing that scares me is that the technology is improving so quickly yeah. that that distance is shrinking all the time. Right. Or I'm sorry, that distance is expanding the other way. Yeah. Um, we can have, uh, with the LTE uh, cellular type network, we can have drones um, here with a controller in another state. Right. And the only limitation then is the power. Right. And uh, as I said, if they can find a way to, to power themselves longer mm -hmm. or repower themselves, yeah. the uh, solar, yeah, for example, exactly. uh, there's almost no limit to what the drones can do. Yeah. We've seen things where they tested recently where they took a drone and dropped medicine right. into a rural community yeah. that uh, was very difficult to reach yeah. overland. Yeah. And uh, that's a great use of the drone. Oh yeah. But at the same time, something evil could be done the same way. Well, and that's exactly to interrupt you if you don't mind is is the premise of this documentary. Uh, we don't discount that there's a lot of conveniences, but there's a lot of good things that uh, you can do with this technology. Uh, the concern is, uh, what if it got hijacked? And uh, as you're saying, the, the advancements. Uh, can allow for that to take place, not just on a localized level, you know, for some vigilantes or whatever, uh, you, know, you know, young computer geeks, if you will, to mess with people. I mean, we're talking on a bigger scale. Uh, and that if they get as prevalent as it's being uh, projected, uh, somebody could hijack the whole system um, with it being wireless and things of that nature, uh, as you're mentioning, and getting min miniaturized. And, and, and one of the things that uh, we bring out that they're also going to another stage of drones and typically you have your normal controls that people use for, for drones and, and what have you. But some of the latest ones that they're doing now is they're doing brain interfacing with the drones. Uh, and with that technology, uh, you, you could just, you literally, and it's on, we got it, it's on, on tape. Uh, they actually control it with their mind. And they literally, it's it just, it's absolutely wild. So, uh, which to us, the concern is, uh, wait a second, that's just another step, one step away from well, wait a second. So if we don't need a human to control these drones with their hands, and now they could just control it with their mind, how about just get rid of the human element completely, and we'll go to some sort of artificial intelligence who could do it better, who has a much quicker response time for what you need to do, and, 
and uh, who you don't have to pay, who you don't have, you know. And once again, it starts out something good, but it could become uh, something negative. And in fact, uh, if we're seeing the brain technology interface now that is being used to control drones right now, that's easily demonstrated. The concern I have is, what do you really got that's out there? And it reminds me of an a encounter I had with a gentleman that I used to work with. And uh, he was from Southern California and he worked with a bowling partner, or bowled with a guy. And uh, he was uh, in the Air Force and uh, he would just disappear, wouldn't show up for the bowling. And, and then he'd be back for a few weeks. And next thing you know, out of the blue, the guy's gone again. And he was gone on missions. And he'd always try to say, well, where are you going? Why, why are you just, and of course he wouldn't tell him, you know, classified stuff. Well, apparently what he told me was this one night at bowling, uh, the guy had just a few too many beers, unfortunately, opened up a little bit, maybe probably more than what he should have. And at least what he shared with me was, and this was, keep in mind, probably in the mid 80s, so roughly 30 years ago. And so he said that he not only was flying aircraft, that's why he was being called out, and uh, that would fly across the United States in one hour, but he was flying these aircraft. I mean, that's wild enough, but he said, uh, he's flying this aircraft across the United States one hour with his mind. And I remember hearing that, and you know, that was in the mid 90s, but again, this was happening in mid 80s as he tells the story. And I'm going, wow, that's got to be, is that, could it really be true? And now you take a look at what's being released to the public and how they're using mind control technology to control these drones. And yet it's really been already being used, according to this report anyway if it's in fact true, uh, you've been doing it for 30 years. So what do you really have out there? And what really could be put into place if you wanted to, to hijack this whole system that we're starting to become dependent upon for all kinds of things? And we are becoming dependent on drones. Yeah. Uh, realtors use them to do an aerial view of the house. We, uh, news media use them all the time. And um, in China, they have tight Wars, yeah. where they fly kites and they crash into each other and try to take out their opponent. Right. I see the time coming when you're going to have drone wars where they're going to, someone's going to come up with a drone to take out the other drone yeah. and just take them down. Yeah. Now, if we're using them for things like delivering medicine, delivering the mail or whatever, yeah. that would be a very quick way to put a hurt mm -hmm. on a lot of people, yeah. taking the drones away. It's funny that any technology that we have, people get used to having it, and they somehow can't function without it. Right. All right. But drones are unique, and that they can go into places where you and I can't go. Right. Um, the idea comes to mind that um, when they had a Corvette Museum that uh, had a big sinkhole. Yeah. They'd use the drone okay. to go down and look Remember into that? the yeah. sinkhole yeah. Uh, to get their information. Um, we think in terms of what we have here yeah. in the U.S. and what's available, but there are a lot of other countries that are creating things and yeah. using them for many, many different reasons. Yeah. Uh, drones can be used to check the weather. They can be used to um, go chase tornadoes, they can be used to do all kinds of stuff. But as you said, they can also be used for bad things. Yeah. Okay? There's a, um, an incident where a man shot down a drone 
Yeah. And uh, he found out that he doesn't own the airspace above his house. Right. Well, if my wife or daughter or whatever is sunbathing, I don't want some drone coming up over the wall exactly. to take a look. Yeah. And if, uh, on a negative side, if I was a burglar or I was someone who meant ill, I could come and use my drone to check and see where all the things were yeah. before I came in personally to rob you. Yeah. So the technology is out there. Um, we have um, some gangs yeah. that like to play with drones. Yeah. Okay. It gives them an eye in the sky just like we have. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there is a there is a definite downside. Any technology can be turned bad. Yeah. But yeah. This one worries me because. There's a video on YouTube about a gentleman who armed his drone. Yeah. Put a machine gun on it. Yeah. Flew it around, chewing up everything. And if that's just your average Joe, yeah. what are corporations or possibly militaries around the government? And, and frankly, uh, of course, with the most well-known ones, like with the Predator and the Global Hawk, mm -hmm. uh, those are, we all know, it's just common knowledge, those are armed. Well, um, the idea that worries me is assassination. Yeah. Or um, murder for hire. Yeah. If I had a drone and even a single shot, if I knew I could get the job done, yeah, you could hire me to take out whomever you wanted. Yeah. And that's very scary because what evidence is there that I ever did it? Yeah. Well, and think about it again: the diversity of the drones themselves. A lot of people say, "Okay, so he's going to use the traditional quadcopters, they're called, with the four mm -hmm. propellers." And he's going to mount a gun on it, you know, some rickety duct tape thingy. No, you know, some of the miniaturization ones that have a payload, quote unquote, have a mm -hmm. payload. It looks like a bird, right? But it's not a bird. That looks like a fly. No, that's not a fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so even with that, not only could yeah, you could be incognito, if you will, a hit uh, hitman with a drone, but the people would have no clue that it's even coming their way, getting ready to take them out. Uh, in fact, you, you mentioned about it's concerning. Uh, even just a recent report, I believe, uh, last week. Uh, the, the news is reporting how people are starting to get on the UN because the UN is dragging their feet on this issue because they're not only drones but drones all over the world, the militaries around the world and their payload capabilities and being armed but they said if the UN quote doesn't step in and quickly do something uh, that we are headed for robot wars. A whole new way of warfare is coming to our planet and most people have no clue how far it's really gone. Well. Drones were originally brought into the military to keep pilots out of harm's way. Right. Go into places where uh, humans can't go. Right. Robots are used for uh, defusing bombs. Um, we have all kinds of things we can do with technology that we know about. Right. And as I said, it, it kind of worries me that there's an old saying, you can have anything you can think of as long as you have the money for it yeah and it's it's true they they can do anything and as i said the the drone war or you said the drone war but like the kite fights i see a time coming when they're just going to stop all the useful uh parts that drones do and the only thing left is the bad part yeah almost sounds like a movie made back in the day called uh Terminator. Yeah. And starts out good and we want to use this for good purposes, but in the wrong hands, flip a switch and it becomes something extremely negative, even on a global basis. So 
Well, Randy, I think, uh, thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, getting to share uh, with our viewers and uh, really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank Thanks you, for coming. You bet. So not only has the brain interface technology been around for a while now, including uh, to fly aircraft with, for at least 30 years or more uh, that we're aware of. It's just amazing, folks. But the experts agree all technology typically starts out good, including this technology. But in the end, it ends up in a nightmare scenario just like the Terminator movies. In fact, they're already moving us to the next stage to get us used to the idea of having brain control technology everywhere we go for our so-called, once again, protection for our good. But, but isn't that, if you think about it, what the Terminators were originally supposed to do in the movies? You know, protect humanity. Uh, just like the new and improved police officer robot they just came out with called Telebot. Watch this. Robocop, eat your heart out. The Telebot project um, all started with um, a donation from Jeremy Robbins. Um, he's a lieutenant from the U.S. Navy and he gave uh, $20,000 out of his own pocket money to help his um, disabled veteran friends to get back into the workforce. And so with that good motivation and um, good intentions, we also wanted to put all our effort and help, help this project come to fruition. And over one and a half years, we've, we've achieved a lot. Today, we see the uh, prototype of the Telebot with all the functionalities implemented. This uh, prototype uh, Telebot is designed as a six feet tall and it weighs about uh, 75 pounds. Well, Telebot can be remotely controlled by an officer or a veteran um, from a different location. They can move the arms um, through um, sensors. Um, they can also turn the head. The head has um, a vision system uh, where it has live video streaming. So whatever the robot sees, the officer in the re remote location will be able to also see it. You know, we started experimenting with this robot for real-time implementations. There were many challenges. One such challenge is, you know, the hands were not sort of um, working properly and the students, you know, started looking at what could be the problem. We want to make sure Telebot should be easily operatable. That means without touching a keyboard and mouse or joystick, we want to make sure use a simple hand, freehand gestures freehand head movement. The, the remote controller can uh, move the Telebot's hands um, as well as its arms, elbows, wrists, shoulders. It can move a wide range of motion for all of them. This step is the demonstration of the fully functional prototype of the Telebot. Our next step is to fabricate the external shell of the robot and to tune up the software, optimize the software and finally do the field testing. Yeah, I, I don't think I want to shake that hand. But what kind of software are you going to tune it up with? All you need is brain-controlled software and you're good to go to make that thing externally controlled by some outside entity. But gee, I sure hope they figure out a way to keep people from hacking into that system, you know, like the new cars out there. Let's take a look at that. So we've been hearing a lot today about the importance of improving computer security. As Dan just alluded to though, it's not just traditional computers that we need to worry about. There are many other kinds of systems as well. 
The slide that's been omitted uh, showed a result of uh, the researchers at UCSD and the University of Washington hacking into the dashboard display of a typical American sedan, making it show that the car was going 140 miles an hour while in park. Drilling down a little bit, modern vehicles consist of between 30 and 100 embedded control units, which are essentially small computers connected via CAN bus. These cars are required by law to have a diagnostic port, typically located under the steering wheel, that allows mechanics to download diagnostic information and to perform software updates. In a first paper, the researchers from UCSD and the University of Washington showed that if they could touch the CAN bus through that diagnostic port, they could take over all of the functionality of the car that's controlled by software. And in a modern automobile, that's pretty much everything. The brakes are controlled by software because of anti-lock braking. The acceleration is controlled by software because of cruise control. And in those fancy new cars that can park themselves, even the steering is under software control. The reaction to this first paper was somewhat muted, perhaps because of the researchers had access to that diagnostic port, they were inside the car and so already had physical access to the brakes, acceleration and steering. They responded with a second paper in which they showed a variety of ways of touching that CAN bus without physically touching the car. These attacks involved infecting uh, the computers in the repair shop and then having that inspection, infection spread to the car through the diagnostic port or hacking in through the Bluetooth system or using the cell phone network to break in through the telematics unit that's normally used to provide roadside assistance. The most ingenious attack though used the stereo system in the car. The researchers were able to craft an electronic version of a song that played just fine in your home stereo system or on your personal computer. But when you put that on a CD and played it in the car CD player, it took over total control of your automobile. Yeah, right, pretty scary, huh? These vulnerabilities arise because the cyber components that form the interface of these cars are built from the same kinds of buggy components that are in your personal computers. And the control systems that are actually running the car have no notion that there can be an attacker sitting on the CAN bus. Yeah, just why did that car crash anyway? Or any of the other car crashes that take place thousands of times every day? Funny you should mention that. Most people don't realize that all this brain interface technology is now leading to a new danger on the horizon. It's called just that, brain hacking. I kid you not, check this out. What other types of hacking are out there? You heard from Ray moments ago about uh, brain, brain-computer interface, building a brain. Of course, if you can build a brain, you can certainly hack a brain, right? Many of these devices will have some sort of Bluetooth or wireless connection, which means that I can hack them. I can put sounds in somebody's hearing aid, right? That's a brain-computer interface, hackable. We've seen things like Emotive and NeuroSky, Right? People are already working on it. There are people that are working to hack these brain-computer interface and the EEGs. This is the best example I know is a study done at Oxford University about a year ago. And what they found is people wearing commercial-grade EEGs like NeuroSky, for example, or um, some of the others, they were able to show them photographs of an ATM pin pad and read the output from the device and with a 30 degree of accuracy, just by flashing this picture, they could determine the person's PIN number for their ATM card. And they could actually go ahead and determine with 60% accuracy their date of birth. This is not with an fMRI. This is with a $300 commercial consumer grade EEG. So this raises a whole ton of questions, right? 
What is the future of brain-computer interface from a privacy perspective, from a crime perspective? We've already had a case in India where a year ago a woman was uh, convicted of murder and sentenced to life for killing her fiancé. There's an Indian company called No Lie MRI, which went out and did an fMRI on her, showed that her photographs of the crime scene and concluded that she absolutely was there and saw what happened, even though she had denied it. And she was convicted based upon that testimony. So will, you, will we, as police, need brain warrants in the future? Right? What's that going to look like? We're the neuroethicists to figure this out. Right? We have some real challenges ahead. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. But did you catch that part? Not just brain interface technology can be hacked but they can be used with an fMRI device to scan the brain to see if this lady was guilty of a violent murder. I mean, are we really headed for that kind of a society? Well, if you listen to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, and Vice President Joe Biden, then it would appear that there's actual discussion about that. And we'll be faced with equally consequential decisions in the 21st century. Can a microscopic tag be implanted in a person's body to track his every movement. There's actual discussion about that. You will rule on that, mark my words, before your tenure is over. Can brain scans be used to determine whether a person is inclined toward criminality or violent behavior? You will rule on that. Can brain scans be used to determine if a person is going to commit a violent crime or behavior? Not to mention, can a microscopic tag be implanted into a person's body to track their every movement? The Chief Justice and the Vice President, mark my words, you'll rule on that before your tenure is over. The Chief Justice has already been in office for a while now, and they've already ruled on some things we never thought would ever be passed. How much does he have left on his tenure anyway? But folks, let's put all this together. You can only control robots and drones and cars and planes with a brain interface system, which would be the first logical step in creating a platform for an AI system. But this brain interface system can actually be hacked by an outside entity, just like a car, leading to all kinds of trouble. I just hope they don't call this outside entity Skynet or something. I mean, that would be way too obvious. Folks, whether you realize it or not, this brain interface system where human brains are used to autonomously control all kinds of different machines, including drones and robots, it's a huge step to the next logical step. Skip the whole human brain thing altogether and go straight to the artificial brain, an AI system just like Skynet that's much more advanced and can make split-second decisions even better and faster than humans. And believe it or not, that too is already in development, starting with drones. Watch this. Experts point out that drones often crash for very basic reasons. UAVs sometimes aren't that smart. Their self-diagnosis isn't all that smart. And by the time they have a problem, it's too late. You lose the link, lose power, and you're gone. Control can be lost for a number of reasons. When Reaper pilot Chad simply banks too sharply, he loses the satellite link. Uh-oh. The picture freezes, and he's momentarily flying blind. That was me turning. He quickly levels the craft and restores the link. Uh, I was turning aggressively and it had trouble keeping up the, uh, the satellite link. There is a degree of vulnerability involved with remotely potted aircraft that have a command link or they're actually operated by operators that you can overcome by having a human in the cockpit. 
Dark Star, Dark Star, football. If for some reason I all of a sudden hear an increase in airspeed, I start to feel a roll, and I'm not intending for that to happen, well, something is going wrong, and I now need to make sure that I'm doing what I need to be doing. Unlike manned planes, drones depend on control links that can be lost, or potentially, as may have happened with the Sentinel, even taken over by the enemy. But what if a craft could operate on its own, free of any links, and even make its own decisions? In a lab at the University of Pennsylvania, VJ Kumar is funded in part by the military to create autonomous drones that don't need external links and, like us, can sense their environment. What you see on this robot are these two chips here, which are essentially ray gyroscopes. These play the same role as the semicircular canals in the human body located near the ears, which essentially tell us orientation. So the ray gyroscopes that are on board can actually measure these angular velocities at thousands of times a second. This chip here is the accelerometer, and this allows the robot to sense accelerations in the lateral direction. So these are analogs to the otolith organs that measure acceleration in the human head. When a human pilot feels an unexpected change in acceleration, he knows to adjust the aircraft. And the robots do exactly the same thing. The sensors adjust the craft by changing the relative velocities of the rotors and allow the drones to follow a leader with precision. A fundamental problem in coordinating multiple robots is the ability to maintain formations. What a robot has to do is determine where its neighbors are and figure out what the relative position is and then monitor that relative separation very carefully. You only need to tell one robot how to move and the other robots essentially maintain formation by just keeping a specified relative distance. In the figure eight, they come within inches of each other, so they have to combat uh, aerodynamic effects from their neighbors, and they have to have very, very precise control. And all that is done autonomously. The precision of the robots allows them to do some things more quickly and accurately than human pilots can like predict the movement and the shape of an object and adjust accordingly. In terms of acrobatics, I think it'll be hard to beat what a robot can do. The neuromuscular system in the human body, there may be delays of the order of 80 milliseconds to 200 milliseconds before you actually take uh, an action in response to what you see. Well, robots have this unfair advantage. They can do these computations hundreds of times a second. Um, so your delays are off the order of a millisecond and perhaps even less. In the lab, the drones communicate with a central computer that uses motion capture, an optical system that tracks silver reflective markers on the robots and tells them where they are at all times. But soon it may be possible to cut the cord. And they've already developed another autonomous drone that can go anywhere on its own. The holy grail is to do all of this without any kind of external sensing, without GPS. Um, and in principle, we can do it. These bigger robots actually rely on observations of external features to tell them where they are in the environment. This drone carries a laser rangefinder that determines distance to obstacles and a depth camera that reveals 3D information about the surroundings. They carry on board the processing power, the sensors that are necessary to look at the environment, to reason about the environment. 
So they can take their relative location and the location of the features to build a three-dimensional map. Well, I'd like to see this technology being used for humanitarian purposes. Imagine there's a 911 call from the building. I think we'll soon have the technology that enables, let's say, 20 UAVs to just swoop through the building and within a minute find out who's in each room and then communicate that to firefighters who are waiting outside. But any technology that you develop, uh, there are always people who are going to use it in ways that the designer never intended them to be used. Can I translate that for you? It might start out pretty innocuous but, and, and with good intentions, <laughs> but it is not going to stay that way. In fact, the last AI drone going down that hallway was looking pretty similar to the other AI drone in the hallway of the Terminator movie that was hunting down that couple. Remember that? Let's take a look at that again. threat to Skynet. Get down! No! 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 There's nothing you can do. Come on. We must go. It is not safe here.
Not that far off, are we? Only a few steps away. In fact, this AI hunting ability is not only being programmed for drones, just like in the Terminator movie, as you just saw, but so it is for robots. Check this out. It's almost like somebody, again, is following a script. Let's take a look. It's hard to put a timeline on how fast robots and artificial intelligence will develop. But almost everyone we spoke to seemed to believe that in just a few decades, the robots that will exist in our world will be unrecognizable by today's standards. Uh, I think the probability is virtually one, a certainty, that machines will be as intelligent as people, that we will have intelligent robots, that robots will be ubiquitous. So then the consensus of people in the industry is somewhere around 2025, 2030, you know, and even if you were to say, oh, that's optimistic, so maybe it's 2050. Uh, you know, maybe some of us won't be around to see it, perhaps, but it's not that far in the future. It's not a thousand years. It's not 500 years. It's certainly not never. When people say machines will never be as smart as people, never is a very long time. The robots that we create could, of course, eventually will become much smarter than we are. And because they're smarter than us, we won't be able to conceive of how smart they are. And we'll have no control over that. And I don't think our brains are really equipped to accept the enormity of, of what that means, because we do find ourselves intelligent now. Science fiction stories have always made predictions about conflict between machines and people. The way to avoid that is for humans to always be at least as intelligent as their machines. At AUVSI, the talk of autonomy, of military robots taking more decisions by themselves, is growing. You know, work on you know, the next generation of autonomy, maybe before it's really needed, to show where it can go. General Riggs talked about unfair advantage, and I'm in full agreement with him. We want unfair advantage. We want lots of unfair advantage. Why shouldn't we? And unmanned systems, and, and especially weaponized unmanned systems, clearly provide a huge advantage. Now notice it's not a matter of if this is going to come, an AI-controlled reality, but when. And that when is a whole lot sooner than you think. And also notice that of all entities, the military is looking for this full autonomous AI system of robots and drones to give them the, quote, unfair advantage that they're looking for. Just like the movie premise. And they're not the only ones. IBM is also working on artificial intelligence systems and teaming up with one company called Numenta, as well as partnering up with Apple to develop an artificial intelligent health program to, listen, improve wellness globally. So that tells us the plans are to go all over the globe with this technology, and other AI systems are being built to, quote, eliminate the family doctor. Even Facebook is getting in on the action with their own AI ambitions to, listen to this, quote, help mediate your online activity. You know, just to make sure that your posts don't come back to haunt you. You gotta have an AI helping you out. Can you believe that? And that's why the military is not only interested in this technology, but they're saying true AI technology is coming very soon. And when it does, they admit, listen, it's going to change everything. As artificial neural networks become more sophisticated, they will empower robots to do more and more things on their own. The human will no longer have to tell the robot very explicitly, um, in very, very small baby steps, how to perform a task. 
We would only teach or educate the robot. Humans won't need to program it anymore. But in war, it's not just what you have learned, but your intuition. If, for example, the robot is in a situation where the tension is escalating, would it be able to pick up on the subtle clues like a human soldier would? I was very interested in understanding how machines could be made intelligent. And we started succeeding as a community in doing that. Just because someone doesn't understand or doesn't know how it can be done, doesn't mean it can't be done. So autonomy will gradually be accepted. More and more authority will be given to these systems, partly due to the changing and ever-increasing tempo of the battlefield. And autonomy is being pushed more and more to the so-called tip of the spear in warfare, where these decisions will have to be made by these machines. But such human-like powers of perception would be useful in military robots. They would be able to read potentially hostile body language or someone who is lying and react. And the possibilities could veer even further into the realm of the fantastic. What we won't know is the extent uh, to which a robot, when it becomes sufficiently sophisticated and autonomous, actually crosses the line and becomes self-aware and alive. You know, just like in the Terminator movies. Folks, this is how close we are, and most people have no clue what's coming. And notice that AI intelligence and drones and robots are not just coming, but it has to be made this way. We have to allow this. It's for our good. It's, it's for our protection. And when we do, very soon, it's going to change everything we experience, including how we do warfare, listen, on a global scale. In fact, once again, guess who? That's right. DARPA is already testing a drone that can learn with these AI abilities. Listen to this quote. Almost seven years ago, we learned that DARPA was investing millions of dollars in neuromorphic chips, which is a fancy term for a computer chip that mimics a biological cortex brain chip. Today, researchers are getting closer, and of course, they're putting those brain chips in drones. And, and thanks to that brain-like chip, the little robot doesn't necessarily need a human to tell it what to do. It can learn and act on its own. Direct quote, just like in the Terminator movies. Folks, this is not a game. This is really going on. In fact, it goes on to say this, quote, it sounds like something, this is their words, not mine. It sounds like something out of a science fiction movie. <laughs> a tiny aircraft that flies around deciding what to survey, uh, or more frighteningly, what to shoot. Folks, I am not making it up. That's their quote, okay? Let me translate it for you. Their own words. You know, that Skynet system that we've been seeing for years in the Terminator movies. It's being built before our very eyes, they admit it. And that's not just concerning, but they're already out there trying to calm our fears about this concern, saying, hey, 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 listen, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll program these things with laws so that it won't go crazy on some human and, and go on some sort of killing you know, spree. Really? Let's take a look at the likelihood of that. If hunter-killer robots are let loose, will we be able to control them? In the 1950s, Isaac Asimov created his laws of robotics. The first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey 
orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. In other words, a robot can't be ordered to kill a human being. Uh, rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence. After all, it's an expensive piece of equipment. Uh, unless that violates rules one or two. But these laws were fiction. Would they work in the real world? In reality, they're, they're not applicable. Uh, even if you look at some of the military machines of today, a cruise missile, it, it does not obey Asimov's laws. In fact, it breaks them. So when we look to robots, intelligent robots of the future, I don't think we can look to fictional laws to save us. The, the robots will be doing things for themselves, and that certainly won't be stopping because they might injure a human. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is we have sin. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we, need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem, that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says, uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. Don't ever bear false witness. That's the Ninth Commandment, which means lying. So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy to get into heaven, just march on in there yourself, all by yourself. You don't need God's help. Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pull the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer. And the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. 
God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. And again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.